Podcast this episode. I already, I already screwed up Joe's beginning. I don't remember what episode. That <laughs> Phil, that, well, I'm Matt Rooney. I'm Matt Rooney, not Joe Musso. Uh, I'm alongside Phil Doff because the nice co-host that I am, I decided to let Joe, you know, take a, take early in the week off after just getting married this last weekend, enjoy some time in Aspen with his lovely Shelby. It's episode 264, by the way. Um, so welcome into episode 264. I'm Matt Rooney alongside my co-host Phil Goff. Phil, how you doing? I'm doing well, Matt. I am. Um, I I'm jealous of the the ski chalet weekend that you had up in Aspen. It was it was a wedding that only Joe Musso could pull off, and uh, I think his sister said it best during her speech that you know it was it's the day Joe had been dreaming about since he was a little boy. Um, yeah. And I think I think we all agreed that and, and congrats to Shelby for surviving what was probably a little bit of a groomzilla at times through the wedding process, but. Uh, Congrats to Joe and Shelby. Joe will be back a little bit later in this week. But yes, it was um, it was an unbelievable time. It was pretty pretty amazing, breathtaking stuff. I mean, we were on Kevin Costner's ranch. Kevin wasn't there, sadly. One uh, one question for you: best appetizer of the day, night, oh, late night. The, oh, they were raving about. Everybody was raving about the appetizers. I got to give Joe some credit. I don't really love crab cakes, but they had great little mini crab cakes. Uh, there was a little ahi tuna on a little like crisp thing that mm, I get crustini. I've I've gotten uh, shout out me I've matured in my age I like ahi tuna now never really liked the raw fish stuff never really touched it but uh, thanks to Alyssa I, I will eat some of it now and then there were these uh, it's something you could really only find up in Aspen or kind of that area in the mountains some some elk skewers with mm. a with a with like a fig compote something I don't know but it was good it was elk it was delicious I'd never Matt, had it before Matt you know how I know you've matured I eat elk no you just said compote well that's what the the server told us. <laughs> it's some sort of I, I, that's I'm just trying to sound smart. Probably let's be read if Joe even listens to this episode, which let's let's be real. Probably not. He's a busy man. Um, if I would have called it some sort of fig sauce, he'd probably yell at me and then correct me on the next episode. So really just trying to avoid the the lecture I'd get from Joe about my my food vocabulary. Understandable. And I'm excited that the Musso wedding was everything that, that Joe had dreamed of since he was a little since he was a little boy. Joe also had uh, had a great outfit change. Nice, nice outfit change. Got married in the traditional black. Showed up to the reception in a in a nice, nice white. I saw that, and I hope that that was the case. And mm-hmm. I looked at some pictures, and I thought maybe it was two separate nights. But I love the fact that Joe went with the outfit outfit. And I got to shout out probably his mom, who probably did his hair. Um, she just does gives wonderful haircuts. She so she did my hair as well. Ooh, well she, say, she's my she's my stylist. She gave me a haircut about two two weeks ago. Yeah, well, shout out Ms. Muno and, and Musso and shout out Danielle as well, who I'm sure gave a great speech. Everybody did great, though. Great time. We'll obviously recap it a little bit with Joe uh, later in the week when we do the Joe Musso wedding, wedding recap slash NFL season preview show. Um, but that's enough about Joe's wedding. As I said, we'll get to it later in the week. We have some college football to talk about, Phil. Oh, yeah. And I, I think Joe was even a little bit, uh, I don't want to say relieved, but was was happy you were filling in because – He's going to be doing a little bit more NFL in college with, with CBS this year. Uh, this year, so he kind of said this is a great episode for Phil to step in and then and, and the call to the bullpen. And if you haven't been paying attention on Twitter, I'm going to give us us a selfish plug here. Catch uh, catch Phil and I's college football show uh, along with the great Dan Weiner uh, on Betsperts. It's called the Blogger Bowl. We're doing college. Or we did some conference previews. We're going to have two shows a week: Tuesdays, Thursdays. 
But this is a, a nice little preview, a little segue to that to try and get us a, the, the Moose and Bruins audience over there. Phil, we're going to start our college football preview show where the only logical place to start is a program, a team that's near and dear to our hearts, a team that has a big old game coming up on Saturday, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Um, I guess my first question is Notre Dame plus 17 and a half. I'm, I'm buying it and I'm doing so in a couple ways. Um, I, I think, I think this cover happens in a couple ways. I, I don't think it's, it's that outrageous by any, I mean, I think the cover is pretty outrageous, but it's not outrageous when you consider Ohio state's offense against really anybody in the country. But I see this playing out in one of two ways. I think Notre Dame's going to lose. I'm taking my optimism that I have about everything and I'm reserving for it because Notre Dame has a first time head coach, first time quarterback. It's an away game against one of the top offenses in the country. Things will have to go right. But for the 17 and a half, which that went up from 14 and a half to 15 and a half to 17 and a half. That's that's the money's just been coming in on Ohio state. Uh, It's it's, it was at even 13 and a half. I think when the lines first opened, the money's just been flooding in there. Yeah. So I think this, it gets, it can get close, but I I, I think it's going to happen in one of two ways. Either Notre Dame is down. Let's just call it by like anywhere from like nine to 12 points in the fourth quarter. They're going for it late. They have a chance to cut it down to a two to a one score game. They go for it on fourth down, turnover on downs. Ohio State probably just runs out the clock. Or a situation where Ohio State has really controlled the game and say they're up by, you know, 21 late, which again seems a bit outrageous when I say it out loud. And then Notre Dame scores a late backdoor cover. Um, so I, I mean, this 17 and a half from a, just a backdoor perspective, Notre Dame is going to want to, is not going to give up. This is not a team in a place that is going to roll over, especially at the end of the game. So even if things are not going Notre Dame's way and they're down by more than three scores at the end of the game, I see Ohio State pulling some of their top guys and Notre Dame scoring late to backdoor cover at the very least. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, if I am if I really love Ohio State in this game, I'm, I'm not sure what off the top of my head what the first half line is, but if it's set Ohio State minus 17 and a half for the game, the first half line is probably somewhere around nine and a half. Yeah. Do I think there's a chance that we see Ohio State explode in the first half and maybe Notre Dame's in a tough environment or a little bit outmatched? Sure. Um, I just think that this is a little bit of a different Notre Dame team than we've seen in past in the past, at least in terms of demeanor and in terms of how they approach these road games. And I don't think they're going to play as much not to lose as they might play to win, which, again, could actually come to bite them and maybe they get a little bit too aggressive and Ohio state makes some nice plays. But I think we've all, we've also saw from Ohio state early on. And, and I think we've talked about this a few times is Ohio state, at least in terms of starting a season is a little bit of a slow starter. And I think this, you know, if I'm Marcus Freeman and I want a coin toss, I want to get that ball first and I want to try and run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, just absolutely pound it down and see if you can't, I mean, the weak point, of this Ohio State team, if you call it a weak point because it's still as good as is still as as good as a lot of teams in the country, is probably their defensive line. At least that's uh, kind of where they were able to get beat up and bullied last year. Obviously, after how the Michigan game went, they're not going to want to let that happen again. But I think that's where Notre Dame is going to try to exploit them because they do return what's it four offensive line starters now. Jarrett Patterson's listed as technically questionable, but he was back walking and he's going to practice this weekend, so he's going to play. Um, if you can get out and even if you don't end up with a score, if you end up with a field goal or you just end up with, you know, a seven minute drive yeah. where you control the play and you kind of set a tone seventh, if that's what you're trying to do most of the game and your defense shows up to play, I mean, 
defense showing up to play could still mean Ohio State scores 34 points. Yeah. But if your defense keeps you in it and just takes away the big play the best they can from Ohio State, which I think Notre Dame's secondary is going to do their best to do, and I, I think they have a pretty darn good secondary this year with Brandon Joseph being back there, it's going to be tough for Ohio State to get to that 17 and a half points because I just think what Notre Dame is going to want to do offensively, it's going to be much more of a clock controlled. Their, their attempt is going to not be to make Ohio State march down the field on them and then control the clock. And I just think that that's going to be 17 and a half is a tall task with that game plan Notre Dame is going to try to play. Now, obviously, Ohio State can, you know, they're good enough to control the game plan and not dictate to what Notre Dame wants to do. But I just kind of, with how Ohio State started seasons last year against Oregon and in the past, they've started slow. I think Notre Dame's going to have a pretty good chance in the first half here to control the the pace of the game, the tempo. Yeah, it's the type of thing where I think we're going to know pretty early um, because yeah. Ohio State is not a grind-you-down team. Notre no. Dame is Notre Dame is going to approach this game as a grind-you-down team, which is going to have a lot of RPO, a lot of power run off the left side with with Michael Mayer, um, or just off, off tackle with Michael Mayer, and then you have the you know kind of all-world beater, uh, Joe Alt, and um, why am I blanking on the left tackle's name right Blake now? Blake Fisher? Like Fisher, yeah, both just freak athletes right there. So I think they're they're really going to control, control, try to control the line of scrimmage, and that's something where I think you'll know pretty early if Notre Dame has the beat on them. And that's not driving down the field, going 98 yards and rushing in every play. It's are they picking up multiple first downs? Are they getting you know three to five and a half yards per carry? Is Tyler Buckner making the RPO read correctly where, hey, he pulls it and scampers for 12 to 15 yards? And so those are the types of things where if Notre Dame comes out and we see that they're controlling the tempo a little bit, controlling the line of scrimmage, what they want to do is make Ohio State uncomfortable. They want to make Ohio State have to push the pace and go for it on fourth down. That's what that's what Oregon did last year. Oregon was efficient. Ohio State felt the pressure. They went for it. I think they like gave up. They uh, didn't convert on three fourth downs. And that's we've seen that with Ohio State, where if they are getting pressured, if they're feeling the tempo, if they're getting bullied, that is when they I don't want to say hit panic mode because they can score in a second, but it's when the other team is really controlling the tempo in the line of scrimmage. And it's happened. It happened in Nebraska last year. It happened against Oregon. It happened in the, you know, the first big chunk of the Utah game. So this Ohio State team is definitely fallible. They're not they're not a perfect team by any means. And if Notre Dame can go in there and control the pace a little bit, if Audric Estime is who we think he is, if uh, Lorenzo Styles can get going, um, and if Chris Tyree can hit a home run play, I mean, there's a lot of ifs there, right? Um, but that's I think that's the fun part about opening week, you know, top five matchups is there's a bunch of we're going, you know, Notre Dame, a bunch of unknowns, Ohio State, supposedly a known commodity on offense unknown on defense. And so it's really going to be a fun game, I think. And I'm, I'm going at it with the mindset of, I want this to just be a great college football game. I'm not really, I, you know, I hate to say it, but I don't really care as much about the outcome. It might be loser talk, sue me for it, but I just want a really good college football game so that I can really see what the, what tone the Marcus Freeman era has at Notre Dame. Yeah. It, both of these teams coming into this have a reputation of, and you talk about it with Ohio state, kind of getting punched in the mouth and then not knowing what to do. Um, I'm interested to see at what point, you know, Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame get punched in the mouth and mm-hmm. whether or not they know what to do, not whether or no they whether or not they know how to react back, whether or not they kind of curl up like a lot of Brian Kelly's teams tended to do. Yeah. So I, I think that's like you said, there's a lot of ifs for Notre Dame. And in order to win this game, they're going to need a lot of those ifs to go right. 
it's it, it might sound like loser talk, but like you said, but like obviously when they when they kick off, I'm going to want them to win. I'm going to hope they're going to win. I'm going to think they're going to have a pretty good chance to win. Mm-hmm. But realistically, if you told me like the Georgia game from a couple of years ago in Athens happened, and you know they they had somewhat of a chance to win at the end, and yeah. you know long shot didn't pull it off and lost a tough tight game, getting that kind of reputation back with the program, I think is really really important this year where you you see recruiting jumping to a whole new level and obviously they're taking a little bit of a step back here but they're still going to finish with one of the best classes in the country in order to get to that next step i think you need to change that outside view of your program as they can beat the little guy but they're going to get blown out by the big guy every time you need to start seeing yourself as one of those teams so recruits mm-hmm. can kind of be, start seeing you as that team and i i think this game is going to go a long way for this program either one way or another in terms of permanently kind of flipping that recruiting sending keeping it on the right track where you're kind of at like a I don't want to say quite a crossroads because the recruiting still a really good spot here but yeah. you know you had five-star Keon Keeley and as much as he liked Notre Dame he's going to Alabama because Alabama does what Alabama does yeah. Notre Dame has to start changing their reputation not that they'll ever be Alabama but order to get themselves in that conversation yeah and two two final thoughts on this game the one kind of definitely not if is Michael Mayer. I think he's going to come out and have, you know, 10 plus catches. And I think, you know, I'm hoping it would be awesome if he makes it. I don't, I don't think he'd ever win the Heisman, but if he puts up a hundred catch season and Notre Dame is, you know, a nine, 10 win team, I think there's an opportunity for him to potentially get an invite. So that's, that's one thing for me. And the final thing, it's brace yourself for the overreactions after the game one way or the other. And that I, I don't want to get too much into that because I'm already getting annoyed about everyone saying, Hey, if Notre Dame gets blown out, is it time to panic with Marcus Freeman? Is Ohio State the best team in the world? If it's a super tight game, is Ohio State overrated? If Notre Dame somehow pulls it off, is Tyler Buckner going to win the Heisman? Either way, this game's going to be full of overreactions once it's done. I guess I like talking about them, but at the same time, it's just, it's week one of college football. It's a long season. Week one doesn't dictate the final weeks of the season, but at the same time, I would rather be talking about college football and college football happening any day of the week than college football not happening. So just thank God it's back. It's back. You you, you mentioned Michael Mayer. I currently have a, a long-term uh, futures bet with him for over eight, 871 and a half total receiving yards this year, which oh, I'm really looking forward to. That. I've, I've, I've hit that one pretty hard, so I'm looking forward to it. But uh, enough with the Irish. We will get back to them, obviously, at some point next week after this game and then quite a few often, uh, quite a few times throughout the year. Um, Phil, I think you're – you're looking to snap your big game Notre Dame losing. You had not, you were undefeated coming on before big games. And then I think it came on before the conference championship against Clemson. Was that the last one you were on and they lost it? I think so. Yeah. I had a, yeah. I had a good streak. I had a good streak. You had going. a great run going. And then, yeah. And then you didn't have me on before the, I think the playoff game, which that's on you guys for the 20. Well, uh, it was the, the holidays. You know what? It's, it is what it is. So yeah, hopefully, if, <laughs> you know, hopefully this can continue that I, I've only lost one game. I previewed here. Now this isn't a full Notre Dame preview, but I think we did enough there to give the people what they wanted. So, you know, hopefully you get the, the Phil Goff Notre Dame bump. I, you know, if we do, we'll have you, we'll have you back on before what would be the next really big one? Clemson. Uh, Clemson. Yeah. Clemson. We'll go with that. We'll go with, we'll go with that. Get you on if, if they pull off this win. Um, but since we talked about Ohio state, let's stick in the big 10 and we're going to keep this to a, we have three questions before we talk about every conference. I'm going to ask you for a conference champion, or if there's a conference championship game, give me your participants. We're going to go for a storyline you are most intrigued by and a surprise. That could be a, a good team being bad, a bad team being good, a player. So let's start with, um, 
Let's start with most intriguing storyline. Let's do that. What's your most intriguing storyline for the Big Ten? Well, it was Nebraska um, before oh, we zero. Um, America's three and nine team, and we had they are who we thought they were. Yeah, exactly. We're again, actually they weren't. We thought they were going to be better. We thought they, yeah, yeah. Shame, shame on me and you because again, Scott Frost just kicked himself right in the nuts. Did an onside kick instead of you know we went up, went up more than one score. Decided to do a random onside kick. Stupid decision. Ended up costing him. Again, I thought a change of pace with uh, Casey Thompson coming in over Adrian Martinez would change things up. A late game interception, a loss by one score, a fourth quarter collapse. They're exactly who we thought they were. But I will say they will play this year close. They play hard. They want to win. You want to see them win and you feel bad. You almost feel bad for them. So it'll still be an intriguing storyline because I think the like the lines each week are going to be really tight. And so betting Nebraska, if they're bad, I'm really curious to see how Vegas views them and how tightly they keep the spreads. I, that game, that, that storyline is, I thought it was going to be interesting and I still think it's going to be interesting just for a completely different reason now, because I think that has, we're going to learn so much about that. I don't think they play next week. I think the two Dublin teams are off next week, but the week after that, not sure who they play, probably someone not very good. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to see how that team responds because it's, it could go really one of two ways. And I'm really intrigued by that storyline. Mine is not one I knew was going to be my storyline until about a day or two ago when I saw a tweet saying Cade McNamara is going to start week one against Colorado state. And JJ McCarthy is going to start game week two against whichever other little sisters of the poor team, Michigan scheduled for their first three non-conference games. Um, yeah, so I, I talked about we did a Big Ten uh, in our in our Blogger Bowl show. We did a Big Ten college football preview, previewed all the conferences. If you want to, if you want to go check those out, do so on Um, But we talked about Michigan's quarterback room and how you know they have a five star in JJ McCarthy, who's now going into his third year with the program, I believe. Now the first year was the COVID year, so I'm not sure how it still you know counts. His third year with the program, and he either isn't good enough to beat out Cade McNamara or Jim Harbaugh is, you know, falling back into a little bit of the in back, back into his, you know, pre uh, what's the, what was the offensive coordinator's name who left that I'm blanking on the, the offensive coordinator left from Miami. You're Jeff Gaddis. Uh, yeah. Josh Gaddis. Um, Josh Gaddis, Josh Gaddis, Josh Gaddis. He took over <laughs> that offense from Alabama and I thought he did a great job of kind of revolutionizing it and bringing like almost kind of combining Harbaugh's, you know, black and blue, run the ball, pound the ball style with a little bit of, you know, Alabama, you know, modern day spread. If Jim Harbaugh is bringing this thing back to the the stone age with his multiple tight end eye formation sets and wants to go with the safe safety net and Cade McNamara, which he clearly kind of does if Cade McNamara is getting the first start. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I'm just really intrigued by that Michigan program because they have and this is not just me being a Michigan hater, which I very much admittedly am. But there is a lot of talent in that room this year with a lot of really good wide receivers and a great running back in Blake Corum. And if you can't commit to a quarterback or J.J. McCarthy as a five-star has still hasn't won that job, uh, you're nowhere near where you need to be to get by Ohio State consistently. I know they did it last year, but that was kind of a perfect storm. Yeah. If you're not certain at that quarterback position, which they clearly aren't after all this time in camp, you're probably not going to be unless there's an injury by you know week 14, 15, whatever it is. Yeah, my, my read on the situation is that um, I think McNamara has the team's heart. He seems like he's a, he's a leader. He's named a captain. 
Um, and by some accounts, he, he outplayed uh, McCarthy during camp, um, probably from a consistency perspective where McCarthy mm-hmm. has the kind of elite level tools. Um, but I think Jim Harbaugh wants to keep both guys engaged and both guys happy, where I think he wants to absolutely start McNamara because he's probably Harbaugh's guy. He sees him. He's more of probably a grinder, more of a grit guy versus McCarthy, where I think he sees the long-term value and potential in McCarthy and so wants to keep him engaged and happy. So it's kind of throwing him that start to fully keep him engaged because I think if he names, you know, if he names uh, um, uh, McNamara, the starter from the outset, you know, who knows? You might lose McCarthy. You might lose him. And so I think this keeps him engaged right away because again, if they go out, you know, week one, week two, week three, it makes it a more fluid situation. And so it, it buys him some more time. Do I agree with that situation? No, I think it's stupid. I think you should name a starter before week one or say we're playing both guys or like both guys are going to play this start one week, start the other feels like they're don't have things figured out. So I'm my, I'm, I'm curious to see how the cohesiveness of Michigan is, especially with Harbaugh openly saying he was going to pretty much going to the NFL and then not getting the job with the Vikings. Um, their recent drop in recruitings, there's something going on there. Um, yeah, they're, recru- they're it's still a long time, but they're like their recruiting class, like 65th in 2023. Yeah, and luckily, luckily for them, their their schedule is like a schedule that Little Sisters of the Poor would find call Little Sisters of the Poor. They have just a brutally easy schedule outside of um, Ohio State. So, I mean, it probably will still be a you know probably like at, at mo at worst like an eight win team could very well be a ten win team who gets smoked, ten eleven win team who gets smoked to the heavens by Ohio State. I really hope those of you who don't like Notre Dame, who dislike Notre Dame and come at them for their schedule every single year, despite them scheduling it, you know, six or seven years in advance, please bring that same energy when Michigan is 10 and two, or, you know, if they're 10 and one going into the Ohio state game, people are saying they should, you know, be in a playoff or have the benefit of the doubt. Please bring that same energy that you always do when Notre Dame's 11 and one talk about how bad their schedule is. Um, Let's go with a surprise. Give me a surprise out of the big 10. Can be anything you want Could be a player, could be a coach firing, could be a a bad team being good, whatever you want. This is your four. Um, I am intrigued by Northwestern. It's, it's the, right. It's the okay. every other year Pat Fitzgerald bump where, again, Nebraska was a more talented team, but um, Ryan Holinsky looked really good and Pat Fitzgerald gets his guys ready to play every other year. So this is this is this is this is, this is the other year. Um, and so, again, I don't think they're going to make tons of waves, but what was their over under set at like three and a half? It was like four and a half, I think. Four and a half. I think, I think I think they get that over because North everyone had pegged this game as an absolute loss to a surging America's team in Nebraska. And so they came out and just physically beat them down. I was super impressed by their offensive line. Absolutely grinded it out. Ryan Holinsky commanded the offense. I like him. I love his story. Also, the running backs looked pretty good. So at the same time, I don't think they're not making a run to win the Big Ten Championship, but I think they're going to be a just solid college football team this year. And again, they they make it their quote on Chicago's Big Ten team. I like when Northwestern's good. I root for Pat Fitzgerald. They're an mm-hmm. easy team to root for. They're always the underdog, and it's more fun when I can you know pop up to Evanston on a nice October day and catch a game. Yeah, and you know what? Looking at their schedule now, after getting that win, which I do think the over under was four and a half, or at some place I think it might have even been four. Their next game's at home against Duke, then at home against Southern Illinois, then at home against Miami, Ohio. They could be 4-0. Like, they, they could very be. easily be a 4-0 should, football they, team. They should be 4-0. Headed into conference. Well, yeah, they probably should. Um, where they meet my 
surprise Sean Clifford finally breaks out and wins the Heisman in his 17th season. No, just kidding. I could never back Sean Clifford. <laughs> I think he stinks. Um, I'm down to – I have like one – this might be more of a bold prediction, but mm-hmm. Scott Fo- Scott Frost gets fired before the season's over and Urban Meyer is the next head coach in Nebraska. That's kind oh. of becoming my I'm, – I'm not going to go with that as my surprise. That's a working theory that I'm um, – I'm, I'm kind of starting to buy into more and more. Uh, my actual surprise is going to come in that same division that you were talking about with Northwestern in the Big Ten West with Purdue. I, I really like Purdue this year. I think they bring back a lot of talent. I really like their coach and Jeff Brown. It's Jeff, it's Jeff Brown, right? Yeah. I always get him and Brian mixed up, the two Louisville yeah. quarterbacks, the brothers, and Jeff Brown. They're basically the same guy. I get now how my parents used to get me, Mike, and Tim's name mixed up all the time. Their, their last name's Brom. It's the same thing to me. <laughs> um, but I really like what they're building there. I really like Aiden O'Connell. I think they went out on a really high note against Tennessee last year. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm pulling up their schedule now. But like their schedule kind of sets up for success, I think, in that Big Ten West division. They open up – they get probably their toughest game – one of their toughest games of the year, probably their toughest opponent – that or Wisconsin, I guess it would be. They get Purdue, Purdue at home this Thursday. And I think they're – sorry, Penn State. Purdue gets Penn State at home this Thursday. Under the lights, at Ross-Aid, like I think that's a pretty cool environment, a great place yeah. to start a year. And, and a program in Penn State who's kind of at a crossroads themselves and also a team that uh, and a head coach that, you know, when they get punched in the mouth, when things start to go bad, kind of start to not play all that well. Uh, I think that's a really big opportunity for Purdue to set a statement, to score a lot of points. That offense is going to be really fun. And you just kind of need that defense to, it wasn't a bad defense last year. And they just bring back a few, bring back a good amount of starters. Excuse me. If they can take like that next little step forward, Purdue's going to challenge for a big 10 West title. Like they're going to be right there um, with everybody in that division, which is obviously the weaker of the two divisions. They will not win the big 10 title, but like, Iowa's going to be Iowa. They're not quite as good this year. And Spencer Petrus is back. He's not a good quarterback. They won't be able to score with Purdue. Everybody likes Minnesota for some reason. I don't understand it. Similar to Sean Clifford, Tanner Morgan's back there for his 10th season. And he is who he, he thought he is. Uh, Wisconsin's going to be good. And that's going to be that's, that game. And the Penn State game will probably be Purdue's season. Yeah. They have, they have, Purdue, they have Wisconsin midseason. Uh, Prior that week, they have Nebraska at home, which I, I thought was going to be a tougher game, but might not be anymore. Uh, the schedule lines up for them really nice. They avoid Ohio State. They avoid Michigan State. They avoid Michigan. Penn State and Wisconsin are two big games. If they can go one and one again in those two, I I really like Purdue's chances. Yeah, I I actually do too. The The only game that worries me is Wisconsin. And if they could have a Graham Mertz could throw for 92 yards, but – Braylon Allen could rush for 234 yards and four touchdowns. That's yeah. the that's the only thing that that worries me about them. But I'm I'm also buying Purdue. I like like O'Connell. I'm a little hesitant about the offense production with David Bell gone, and curious if they can reload a little bit at DN with Karloftis gone. Mm-hmm. But again, I I think the coach is great. I think the team is solid. They're building a lot of momentum. And again, college football is fun when Purdue is good as well. It's like. I, I want the Big Ten across the board to get better, to challenge who transitioning into the conference championship pick to challenge Ohio State. Because, you know, Michigan is kind of there knocking at the door. But when teams like Penn State get better, when teams like Nebraska get better, when teams like, you know, like you said, Purdue get better, mm-hmm. it makes a more competitive conference. Because right now, despite, I think, the interesting storylines in both conferences, I, I think we're both in agreement here, Matt. Do we 
do we do we really have to talk about the conference champion that much? I guess who's Ohio State going to beat in the conference title game? That'll be my question to you. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with Wisconsin um because I I am not buying Graham Mertz, but I am buying their offensive line and uh Braylon Allen, who I think is going to be a uh he's gonna I think he's gonna be a Heisman trophy finalist. He is I mean he's certainly he's, good enough. He's he's good enough, and I think he's gonna get enough production. Um, he's going to get enough attention and he's going to, you know, he's, you know, he's a great, great, great Wisconsin back. And like, Mm -hmm. what do great Wisconsin backs do? They get the ball and they rush for over 200 yards and, you know, kind of at the drop of a hat. And all of a sudden you look down and they have nine carries for 185 yards and two touchdowns. And it's Mm -hmm. the middle of the second quarter. And so it's just like, I don't know if I can go up against that. Will it work against high-powered offenses who have to go where they have to do that every time no but i still like wisconsin to go to the big 10 championship game and get steamrolled by ohio state yeah i can't say you're wrong that's the safe pick and probably the correct one i'm I'm looking at the big 10 west and in all honesty with maybe the exception of u of i but like actually after watching them in game in their first week rushing for 260 yards and looking like a competent football team you could tell me any team in the big Big Ten West made a run to the conference championship game only to get steamrolled by Ohio State. I wouldn't be shocked. Like, I don't think U of I is very good, but can they get hot and win win you know win enough games at home and, and have a chance to compete for it? Yeah. Northwestern we see we have seen do it a bunch. Minnesota, do I like? No, but like they, they do have a lot of continuity with that program and people seem to like them. Iowa's there every year. Purdue has the offense. Okay, maybe not Nebraska. I guess we're out on them now. But Wisconsin, like that's a completely wide open division. And while the winner, the winner of that division's reward is just going to probably be losing by 35 in the Big Ten championship game to Ohio State. Still really intrigued to watch it. Yeah, I think we're in agreement there where the, you know, that side of the conference is going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. It's going to be like it's going to be good. Big Ten football, a lot of punts, hard, no, hard, no defense and 11 a.m. games in Evanston. But that's what we're here for. Yeah, it's, it's it's our favorite thing in the world. All right, let's move things along to what's, I guess there's technically a power five, but really a power two, uh, number number two in that list, the SEC. Um, doesn't seem quite as cut and dry as the Big Ten does, but still probably pretty cut and dry. Uh, Phil, let's start things off to your most intriguing storyline in the SEC headed into 2022. Um, I think it's, it's honestly Tennessee. Um, I am relatively high on Tennessee. I think they, um, they could, I don't think they're going to win the sec, but I think they're going to step up in some big games and be, you know, be a team where it's, Hey, they come really close versus, you know, in Alabama. So it's, I don't think they're going to like run away with any of those games, but I think it's going to be, they're going to be close. And part of that has to do, um, with Herndon hooker. Um, if you look at his stats, love Hendon hooker, Hendon hooker, not Herndon hooker. God, I am. No, you're good. Um, so like you said, Hendon, I heard I I did. Um, So his stat line last year was something like 31 touchdowns. I think it was like 31 touchdowns, four and four picks Um, just quietly put it together as not being named the starter to, to kick things off last year. And so I think another year in the program um, and also they're recruiting at a super high level. Um, It's the program on the rise. And so they're, I think probably still a couple years away from really competing for the sec, but, but I think, Tennessee is going to be a fun team to watch. And I think there's going to be some good night games in Knoxville. So I'm just, I'm just excited that there's a bunch of competent teams outside of just Alabama and Georgia 
with good quarterbacks in the SEC. Do I think anyone are going to overtake them this year to win the conference? I don't, but I think there's going to be a lot of really good night SEC games or afternoon SEC games, which the world is a happier place when that's the case. I have told, I've talked with you about Tennessee and I said it, you know, when you just started saying this, I love Tennessee this year. I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. I wish they got Georgia at home because I don't think they're going to beat Georgia. Um, I don't think they'd even beat Georgia at home, but I think if they got Georgia at home this year at a night game, that would be an electric environment that would probably be a lot of fun to watch for a little while before Georgia eventually won it. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a little bit of a, I don't know if this is going to be quite a cop-out answer, but the SEC West, not named Alabama, I think everybody is wildly entertaining. Mm-hmm. Like Arkansas came out of nowhere last year, won nine games. Can they do the same thing again this year? They bring back a lot of talent. KJ Jefferson's really good. Like, what can they do there? Auburn, Brian Harson went from fired, went from having an affair with a team manager to not having an affair with a team manager to he's back, but like he's a lame duck. Auburn's just been a been a blast to watch really since they lost that national championship game to Florida state. They've been so up and down. I think Mississippi state and Ole Miss both have some really talented quarterbacks and some talented offenses this year. And the egg bowl when they play at the end of the year is always a bunch of fun. Texas A&M. I I'm getting to the point with Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher that I don't get how Notre Dame gets the overrated tag every year, but Texas A&M seems to skirt it every single year. Like what has Jimbo did Fisher? Mean, did you mean Texas Aiden format? What exactly? What has Jimbo Fisher done with the quarterback position since like Johnny Manziel left? Like, what if he didn't even have Johnny Manziel? Has no. what has he done at the quarterback position? Kellen Mond got drafted in the second round, had a nice year as like nine and three. Like, what what has he done there? Yeah, nothing. I, yeah, all I'm, the talent he brings in every year. There's never a quarterback that, that over that six, you know overachieves. I should say. Matt, I don't do get you, them at number six. Do you think? Do you think uh, Nick Saban has October eighth uh, circled on his calendar by any? I think Alabama is going to win that game by fifty points. I really <laughs> do. Like uh, Texas A and M, I think is a nice, talented team. They're number six this year because their recruiting class is number one. They brought they brought in a lot of talented freshmen. Some of them, I'm sure, will make an impact this year. They're number they're number six because they recruited really, really well. Okay, that doesn't necessarily well, win. They had win a lot games of they, they had a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. They it, It's legal now. Have more yeah. power to them. They paid. And then obviously the last team in the SEC West that's just going to be wildly fun and entertaining to watch is Brian Kelly and LSU. I, it's weird. Like, I don't – I've talked about this with Notre Dame fans, with non-Notre Dame fans, with Notre Dame haters who want me to be sad that Brian Kelly left. Like, I – I don't really have much ill. Like I never really liked the guy. I don't think ever, any Notre Dame fan really ever loved him or ever really like we all liked him, but I don't think anybody ever fell in love with him because he can never win the big game. I'm not necessarily hoping that he goes down in flames either at LSU because it's more of like indifference, but man, I'm, I'm excited to see him at LSU with, you know, one, two, three, five big games on the schedule yeah. as opposed to the one to two. He had a year at, he had a year at Notre Dame that he pretty much went one and one in every year. Like, that's a that, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of big time games for Brian Kelly in a spot that he was never really all that good at at Notre Dame when he had to play outside of Notre Dame Stadium. So watching that LSU Tigers team, obviously going to be a lot of fun because they're incredibly talented. They have a little bit of a wild card head coach, brand new program. Seems like a weird fit. And that's the SEC West outside of Alabama. I could have named any one of those as my most intriguing most intriguing storyline. And they're all wildly intriguing. Like I'm really looking forward to watching those teams. Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, just kick off this week already. Come on. Yeah, I'm ready. Uh, let's go with uh, your big surprise from the SEC. 
Um, big surprise is going to be, um, I'm going to do, let's see, I'm going to take Georgia to win the SEC. Okay. Um, I, 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 I'm still, that would be a big surprise still, even though how good they are, nobody's really given them much of a chance. I'm still buying Georgia. Um, I, I know they, you know, Kirby smart. I, I like to think I'm really see how Kirby smart, how he, if he got over the hump, can he stay on top? Um, just I, people don't give Stetson Bennett enough credit by any means. They still give him the tag of like walk-on quarterback. Like he's a good SEC quarterback. Like he's not going to be a prolific NFL quarterback, but he's a very good college quarterback. They have some, you know, new blood and young blood at receiver. They have the best tight end room in the country, not tight end, best tight end room in the country. And their defense is honestly like it's going to reload. And so I, I think, um, I think Georgia wins the SEC. I, I think it's, you know, I don't think they, I think they, if they win the SEC, I think Bama will probably beat them in the national championship. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I still like Georgia to stay on top of the SEC regular season this year. Would not be shocked if we saw the mirrored version of last season, this season, where Georgia wins the SEC championship game and then Alabama being still the better team comes out and beats them in the national title game. Um, my interesting storyline, uh, I don't know, or not interesting storyline, Jesus, surprise. I don't know if it's a surprise if Kentucky football is ever bad, but like they're coming into this year with a lot of hype ranked number 20. I don't think they're going to be very good. Um, I I don't love, I don't love Will Levis. And for whatever reason, everybody seems to love Will Levis, the guy who couldn't beat out Sean Clifford at Penn state. Um, I'm opening up his game log last year. And again, this very is average. His, his, stats are, his stats are pedestrian. You look at his numbers against the SEC and, and Phil, you, this would be cheating if I asked you because I, I gave you this on the SEC preview as well. But uh, I'm going to give the listeners here one second to, to answer this in their head. How many times against the SEC in SEC games last year did Will Levis throw for over 200 yards? Okay, you had time to answer in your heads. The answer is one. He did it in a 45-42 loss to Tennessee where he threw for 372, 372 yards, three touchdowns, one interception against a Tennessee defense that really, really struggled at times last year, especially pressuring the passer, which, you know, easy to pass when the other team can't get to you. Going back through the schedule, Missouri uh, on September 11th, 10 of 18, 179. At South Carolina, 15 of 22, 102 yards. Versus Florida, who underachieved last year, 7 of 17 for 87 yards. Versus LSU, 14 of 17, 145. Efficient game, still didn't put up big numbers. Uh, at, at Georgia, 32 of 42, 192 yards. Mississippi State, 17 for 28, 150. Tennessee, I just mentioned. Vanderbilt, 14 of 22 for 177. Louisville, yeah. obviously not an SEC game, but his big rivalry, 14 of 18, 149. They ran the ball really well that game, didn't have to ask him to throw. But I guess what I'm saying is like, I know he's a little bit of a dual threat, but he's going to be asked to throw the ball. He's going to have to throw the ball a lot more this year for Kentucky to be a very good football team. They don't have Wandale Robinson. I just don't really see it. I don't love Will Levis. I don't really understand the hype. I don't know what being bad is like kind of considered for them because they're number 20, but their win total is also in like seven and a half. I just don't really see them being great this year. I get he's got the running aspect to his game, but that's something programs can kind of figure out after one year of you starting, figure out how to game plan against. I don't buy Kentucky this year. I don't buy into Will Levis. No, I don't. I don't either. And um, basketball school. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Basketball school. He's it's just it's he's being a bit overhyped. And again, I think people's excuse is like, well, he played just unreal defenses last year. Newsflash. It's not changing this year. The SEC doesn't get worse on defense, folks. No, it doesn't. It, so. it, it, 
it oftentimes gets better. I think they're going to be four and zero headed in, or they'll, they'll be three and one, four and zero headed into the the Mississippi game. Depending on how good Florida is, we're not really sure what to expect from them yet. Obviously, they're going into the swamp, assuming they're going to win that game is tough. But they go to Ole Miss, and I, I feel like that's a game where Ole Miss is going to throw for five hundred yards and win that game by a lot of points. But that's just yeah. me. Um, all right, let's go with conference championship game. I think this one's I, pretty chalk spilled, for us, right? Yeah, I, Alabama. I spilled, I spilled mine already. Um, uh, I, I think it's Alabama, Georgia, and I think Alabama wins, but like I, both teams probably still end up in the playoff because that's yeah. kind of unfortunately the state of college football now, even though it's true. And those two teams are better than everybody else, not named Ohio state. Like it's just kind of the truth. Yeah. Uh, that's where they are. So with that said, it's time for a new conference. Phil, why don't you choose where we go next? You want to go out West? You want to go to the Atlantic uh, coast? You want to go to the heartland? Let's do, let's do the Pac-12. How about let's it? Let's do the Pac-12. I think there's one major intriguing storyline in a, an interesting conference this year, but I think there's one that stands above the rest. But Phil, why don't you give us your most intriguing Pac-12 storyline? So I'm I'm going to let you take USC. because um, oh. You've got some feelings about USC, um, as do I. Um, but my most interesting storyline is Washington State quarterback Cam Ward mm. from Arnett word. So he put up ridiculous numbers at the one double a level put up. I think it was over like 47 touchdowns and 4,800 yards, just something absolutely ridiculous. He brings his offensive coordinator with him over that will bring some great pack 12 after dark this year with some points being on the board. So uh, something that I'm excited about is not for Washington state to be a great team. And he, it's almost like it's going to feel kind of like a Mike Leach offense, despite Mike Leach not. He being should there. just go back to Washington he state. I've said this many times. He should just go back. Just go back. It'll be fun. It's where so, you belong, Mike. What I, what I think is going to happen is that he is actually going there. Washington state is going to help cannibalize the PAC 12 and make sure that they don't make it into the playoff again. So I don't think they're, I mean, outside of Utah, I don't think anyone really has a chance. Um, but I just think Washington state is going to be the one that cannibalizes it with just an untimely win or a big win in that situation, because in like a, you know, 49 to 47 type game. So that's, that's my most interesting storyline. It'll be great for the overs. Bet the overs with Washington State this year. Uh, uh, you mentioned mine, and uh, by the way, I'm, I'm very intrigued by your storyline because I would. I told you several times, it's not a secret. I love Pac-12 after dark. I love 45-42 Pac-12 after dark games, and it seems like Washington State's going to have a chance to be in a lot of them. But the most intriguing storyline is the University of Southern California. Um, contrary to popular belief, or whatever, as a Notre Dame fan. I'm thrilled Lincoln Riley's there because it's got a pretty good chance of bringing USC back to national prominence and Notre Dame needs that on their schedule with USC being a staple, like in order to get back into that regular national conversation to avoid the overrated talk, like Notre Dame kind of needs USC. It's like the Batman and the Joker there. Um, But USC is getting, and I understand why, because they're, they're Southern California, they're in LA, it's Hollywood. It's Lincoln Riley. Like, they're getting a lot of hype. It's just way too much, way too early. And I think we're going to find out a a pretty good amount of them early on. I think the first six games, they're going to beat Rice. They should beat Rice. That's why they put Rice on their schedule. But, like, we've talked about it. Stanford week two is kind of a tough game, a sneaky tough game. While Stanford's not expected to be very good, they bring back, like, ten starters on offense, and you could fall into a trap going into a a sleepy – Palo Alto 630 start where there's not really many people there and USC is kind of used to the, the the sexy pomp and circumstance they had in week one at home when they you know beat Rice 45 to 7 
Stanford could lull you to sleep. And Lincoln Riley's teams at Oklahoma in the past, their big issue was similar to what we talked about Ohio State. You know, when they get punched in the mouth and they have a team that kind of controls the play and puts them on the ropes, can they come back? That's going to be a really intriguing game for me. And, and as much as I like USC going forward, as much as I think they are going to be a program that returns to prominence, that is in a college football playoff in the next four or five years, it's a lot to ask too early. But Matt, like, isn't Lincoln Riley known for putting on great defenses? So that should be solved with his transfer, por- transfer portal additions, right? Well, yeah, he brought over legendary defensive coordinator Alex Grinch, who put up a lot of great defenses in the Big 12. Um, <laughs> but it's just – he it, there's no continuity in the program. Obviously there's a lot of, he brought over Caleb Williams, really talented. He brought over Jordan Addison, very talented. The offensive line's still in some trouble. The defense, while you did bring over some transfers, like there's no time to really gel there. And there's still like, it's not going to band I think they were the 10th best defense in the pack 12. Yeah. Putting band-aids over a broken leg doesn't really help. Um, so I, I think that they're going to lose a few shootouts this year. I think Caleb Williams is going to put up some big numbers. I think Jordan Addison is going to put up some big numbers. And I think there's going to be some times this year where we say USC looks really good. And I also think that games like, you know, maybe at Stanford or at home against Fresno state, who is going to be a pretty darn good football team, have a really good offense have a quarterback in Jay Kaner, who's a pro prospect. Like they're going to have some games this year where you're like, Whoa, USC's this is the score in the third quarter. This is the score in the fourth quarter. I just, I don't, I don't see them instantly being right there back to prominence college football playoff competing. And I I think a lot of people like that's starting to be the narrative now after all the hype early on about how good they're going to be. I think the smarter, sharper betters are coming in and kind of bringing them back down to the mean. And that's what that win totals at nine and a half, which I took the under quite a bit. Uh, but I just, yeah, USC is going to be very, very intriguing to watch because yeah, they're USC. I'm, I'm with you. I'm selling USC this year, but I'm buying them long term. I think Lincoln yeah. Rod is going to be wildly successful there. I think USC is going to be back in a national prominence and it's going to be better for college football. And the powers are going to shift a little bit more out west. So I think it's great for college football. Just not this year. You can't, again, you can't band-aid your way to a great season. You can band-aid your way to some big wins and some fun mm-hmm. games. Um, and they're going to be exciting to watch. They're going to be probably scoring a lot of points and their offense is going to look very fast. But again, they have a lot of holes in the offensive line and they have plenty of holes still in the defense and not very much depth. And also it's sometimes it's tough to bring together a new staff and a bunch of new players who haven't played before and throw them out and have a polished product. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. All right. Biggest surprise. Um, biggest surprise. Uh, I think just the national perception. I was, I'm going to go national perception of USC just, not being what the national perception is. Um, and it's it's like the national perception of casual fans, right? Um, and so I think that's going to be kind of most surprising, um, honestly. Like we just we just talked about it, but I think there's the perception that USC is going to come in and be a juggernaut this year. I think people who follow football a lot like closely like me and you, again, I'm, I kind of sound like a douchebag. They're putting us up on a pedestal, but I just don't think that they're – outcome is going to match the kind of national hype and storylines. Yeah. Like I don't get me wrong. If you told me they won the PAC 12, I wouldn't be stunned. I'm not saying they're going to be like a six and six football team. I think the PAC 12 is going to be kind of wide open and they could, they win it. Absolutely. Um, but I, I just, I don't think, I think the hype train's getting a little out of control, but I'm, I'm not going to keep talking about USC because they just did. Um, I think my surprise is Utah is going to make the college football playoff. Ooh, I, I think like that's like I think that spoils a little bit of one of what we'll get to at the end here with our college football playoff predictions. 
I was in between two of them, and one of them was going to be UCLA as the best team in LA, not USC, but that we've talked enough about USC. So I'm going to pivot to Utah here because we should talk about the best team in the conference, the team that should win the conference championship. Um, they bring back Cam Rising. They bring back, I think, three of their top four pa- leading pass catchers last year, bring back their running back. They bring back some starters on defense. Uh, we've also talked about it. They bring back both of their coordinators. They bring back, obviously, their head coach and Kyle Whittingham, who has built a very tough to play against program, a team that usually pretty much always wins at home. Um, and, and they bring back their coordinators, which I think in college football, we talk about a lot. Continuity matters a whole lot, a whole lot in college football. And that's what Utah has a ton of. I'm pulling up their schedule now. Um, it's not that bad as no, like no schedule in the PAC 12 is ever all that bad. And I think week one against Florida is going to tell you a lot about them. They go into the swamp in a night game. And that's a game they should win by quite a few points because if Florida's in a, a little bit of a transition period, um, I think they're going to be a – I think they've got the right – why am I blank on their head coach's name? The guy from Louisiana. I, I can't remember his name for the life of me. It's really bothering me. I think he's going to have them kind of get back. I think he's going to recruit better than Dan Mullen did there. He's already starting to. But similar to USC, I just don't think they're ready to be that good yet. I think Utah's got a really, really good chance to go in there, win that game by you know two touchdowns, and then – they play the Pac-12 schedule, but they get Utah at home. They do – or the USC at home. They do have to go to Oregon, which may or may not be a tough game. We'll see. But that's a program with, you know, coaching changes and a, a guy in Dan Lanning from the SEC who's now learning the Pac-12. Like, I, I, I think their schedule sets up for them to win games but also have a lot of impressive wins, like going to UCLA and going to Oregon, where the games might not actually be as difficult as they look. But, you know, they look good on paper for a college football playoff committee. So I think they're going to the college football playoff. I think they go – 11 and one or 12 and all and win the pack 12. I it's, if there's some other chaos, I agree with you. I actually, I love Utah. So they're one of, I think only 25 teams to return the head coach, both offensive, both offensive defensive coordinator and quarterback. And so I, we talked about this, but I really like cam rising. Um, so normally I'm not a big fan of goatees, but cam rising has a pirate goatee and looks exactly like the Buccaneers throwback logo. So by stock and cam rising, he is a very tough runner as a great arm. I really like their offense and their defense. I think, again, the one game that worries me is Pac-12 after dark, October 27th, 9 p.m. Central Time, Utah, Washington State. I think that's going to be a test, and I think Oregon's going to be a test. I think they outright win um, both the regular season and conference championship game um, because I, I, I am buying stock in them. Depending on how things shake out, I don't hate that pick, Matt. Um, I'm on the cusp of picking Utah um, and so we'll, we'll see when we get, to, when we get to that later. Who's Utah beating in the back in the Pac-12 championship? Um, I think they're going to, I'm just, I'm going to cop out and say USC. Okay. I am, uh, I'm going to go with Oregon. I think Oregon's going to have uh, a pretty solid team this year. I think people are, I think their, uh, their win total of eight and a half is a little bit too low. And I know they don't obviously have the continuity, but they are bringing in a coach who, coaches defense pretty well if they can get the offensive part figured out I think that team does have a little bit of a bounce it's hard to say have a bounce back year in a team that uh, or in a year that you beat Ohio State and went to a conference championship game but they clearly were outmatched against Utah the last two games of the year but I think they have a little bit of a bounce back year and I think there's a lot of consistency in that program with the people coming back even though the head coach might be a little bit different uh let's go to the heartlands Phil give me a big 12 storyline you're most intrigued by um, I'm going to go with Brett Venables at Oklahoma. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I am really curious how he looks at the helm. Um, he obviously bided his time and waited for the right opportunity and landed at Oklahoma. Um, but less about Venables, more about Jeff Levy going there and reuniting with UCF quarterback Dylan Gabriel. Um, so for me, the biggest storyline is can Dylan Gabriel be the guy? So as a true freshman, he put up great numbers and he is a, my value Heisman pick actually. So you can get mm. him at a value Heisman pick at plus 3000. So I think in Jeff Levy's offense against the big 12 defense, he is going to put up ridiculous numbers. He's in a new, new area, new system or new, obviously new school. Yeah. Familiar system. And so yes. I think he's going to hit the ground running. Uh, they have a lot of talent. And I think Venables is is going to get there when it comes to the defense. Um, obviously, I think he likes will try to change the narrative of the Big 12 being, and particularly Oklahoma being a bad defense coming from Clemson. So um, I'm really excited to see uh, Oklahoma play, and I'm really excited to see Dylan Gabriel because I, you know, I I looked I I loved him as a freshman, and he broke his collarbone in the first game of the year last year. Um, I don't think it was oh, UCF was a good fit for him anyway with Gus Melzahn and whatever mm-hmm. offense he's trying to put together. So I really like him reuniting with Jeff Levy and putting up some just ridiculous numbers. And, you know, if Oklahoma can look good, I think he's got a real shot to to take the Heisman. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued by Oklahoma, but more so uh, as, as fun as Dylan Gabriel and that offense could be. More so how the fans um, accept Brett Venables. And I, I know he's kind of coming home and he was the, def- you know, the defensive coordinator those years ago and w- did a good job there. Obviously he loves Oklahoma, but they're still pretty hurt by the loss of Lincoln Riley. And you can tell by how often they still talk about it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm intrigued to see if, you know, I think Brett Venables is a good coach and I think he's probably in all honesty, a better choice to lead them in the sec than Lincoln Riley, because I don't think Lincoln Riley's brand of football wins the sec ever. Um, but the patience that Oklahoma and that fan base and that program give, uh, uh, Brett Venables is something I'm keeping an eye on, but that said, that is not my int- most intriguing storyline. There's only one most intriguing storyline for me in the Big 12, just about every year until they leave it. That's University of Texas. Is Texas back? Is this the year they finally put it together? Is Quinn Ewers going to be what we hope he is? Are they going to lose by to Alabama by 50 points at home, or is this going to be, you know, the team that, you know, like uh, against LSU a couple years ago, the Joe Burrow team that gave them all they can handle? Like what? What is Texas going to be? Are they finally going to start showing the fruits of that labor from recruiting? It's 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 their their Notre Dame of the Big Twelve. Like the, every year, people want them to be back. They're going to get overhyped a little bit. Kind of surprised they're not ranked to start the season. I figured they you know, that the coaches' poll would have them in the you know, top twenty-five. What are they going to be? It, it, when is it going to finally start? It seems like they finally have some momentum. They have the five-star quarterback. They have another ready to follow them. What is Texas going to do? They have the stud running back in Bajan, Bajan Robinson. Like, I'm so intrigued by Texas like I am every year. They're going to win some game. They should know but against, you know, like a Baylor or somebody that they probably shouldn't. And they're also going to lose to, like, Texas Tech. And I, I just – I'm really intrigued to watch. Yeah. No, I'm – and, you know, with Quinn Ewers, it, you're curious how he's going to be. He didn't – he kind of struggled to outright win the QB uh, competition this year, which if you're a Texas fan, it's not a great sign if you have one of the highest quarterback recruits mm-hmm. of all time. Uh, coming in and he's struggling out of the gates to to win it after being in a college football program for a year. Um, so it's a situation where people are going to overreact no matter what happens either way. Like if they go in and Ewers lights it up and they lose a tight one to Alabama, people are going to be still screaming Texas is back and they could go out of the gates and struggle against a, you know, a little gritty, good UTSA team the next week. So mm-hmm. um, either way, I, you know, I do think, do you think Texas gets above 
eight wins this year, Matt? Oof. Yeah, you know what? Yes, I'm in. I'm buying the hype train. I'm buying Texas football. Texas gets Texas is nine and three this year. Hmm. Okay, I will. Um, let's I'll just accept. let's do it. I'm saying yes. They will not beat Alabama, though. That is a bold prediction for me. Uh, give me a surprise. Surprise from Big 12. Um, I think Baylor being a really good team and reloading. Um, I, you know, they're, they're preseason 10, but there hasn't really been much hype around them at all. Um, so I, when I look at the the, the Big 12, I, I see a lot of kind of coin flips. Um, I see, see a lot of ifs. I see a lot of maybes. I see potentially a lot of chaos. And so when you see that, you go with who I think is a stable, good coach in Dave Aranda. So I think... Um, you know, Baylor is going to be a solid team and that will lead into my, um, conference champion pick that I'm going to double down on because I'll, I'll get to that in a second of why I picked that. Baylor is weirdly number 10 to start the season and their win total on FanDuel is seven and a half. It's, it's, that's, it's now they're, they're, oh, the over seven and a half is minus 170. So there's like no value on it, but still that's where they have it set at. So there are, they are quite literally anything can happen with them to this this year team i really do like dave aranda and i think what he's building there is is sustainable in, in terms of being a solid program if he wants to stay but i'm interested to see how he can reload how he can develop in a, in a short turnaround um let's see my biggest surprise from the big 12 this year can i uh, i mean but i'm not going to talk about kansas because as much as i like kansas and want to watch them this year they're boring to talk about west virginia for me i think they're gonna it's, it's tough for me to say what a surprise might be i don't think they're going to win the pac-12 they probably don't go to a pac-12 championship game but i think they're going to get back to being the coach dana type fun west virginia offense they're going to win seven or eight games but they're going to put up a ton of points if jt daniel stays healthy and i think we've been asking is jt daniels going to be healthy for the last 10 years uh, but if he can stay healthy in that conference with, with Graham Harrell coming, I think that's a, it's a very good combination of offensive coordinator quarterback. They bring back some weapons like their defense is never going to be that great, but I'm intrigued to see what they can do. And I think West Virginia returns back to being the fun team that can get you in any offensive shootout type, the Will Greer type West Virginia teams. Very fun. And I, um, I'm buying that as well. Cause you know what, why not? And they've got a, you know, Fenwick fire on the team at tight end. So <sighs> Shout out, um, Olafen. Mike Olafen. I think I, I, I've made this joke before, but I think my dad's favorite player he's ever coached, including me. Um, I, I think he's gonna have a big year. I believe he's bad. I believe he's it's his final year after having some injury issues, but he's expected to have some pretty good things. I want to say he was on a Mackey Award, uh, award watch list to start the year. So keeping a close eye on West Virginia, Phil, what's a Big 12 championship and who's the winner? So I'm going Oklahoma Baylor and I am going Baylor um, because I think when, again, with all the new coaches, uncertainty, all of that, um, I like a stable coach who, again, hasn't, they don't have the highest level of recruiting, but I like them to win close, difficult games. Um, so I'm going Baylor. And also it's a pretty good value pick at plus 550. I'm going to go Oklahoma, Texas. Um, I'm going to go kind of chalky here. Um, I think that this was two or three years ago. I think it was the Baker Mayfield team that went to the playoff. Texas beat Oklahoma in the regular season. And then um, Oklahoma came back and won in the, the big 12 championship game. Kind of think that's what happens here. I think Oklahoma is going to be a very good football team. I think we're going to learn. I think we're going to see some, some struggles early. Um, uh, but I think they're built for the long haul this year, as opposed to the Lincoln Riley teams where they're built for fast starts and finishing strong. I think this team is going to go through some adversity and I think they're going to be better for it. And then I think towards the end of the year, their talent starts to show out. Um, so while it seems like a chalky pick, I'm 
taking Oklahoma for different reasons than, than I've taken Oklahoma in the past. Hey, your powers more power to you, Matt. All right, fifth and final conference, uh, ACC. What's you? Uh, what's your most intriguing storyline? Just the quarterbacks. If you look up and down the ACC, there is just some fantastic good, quarterback. Yeah, it's just just good quarterbacks from top to bottom. Um, and again, there are a lot of kind of bigger name quarterbacks. You know, at, like Virginia, you have Brendan Armstrong put up crazy numbers. You have Keaton Slovis coming over from Pittsburgh. You have Tyler Van Dyke over from Miami. Um, you know, you have Sam Hartman. Hopefully, he gets back healthy um, at Wake Forest. Um, you have Malik Cunningham at USC. You have DJ Uyunglele. You have Phil Dracovic. You have um, all all these quarterbacks that are just fun. Um, and so I think that's just it's going to lend itself to some fun ACC football this year. Um, and also it's just like, you know, who is going to be the best quarterback? I think you look at, um, NC state's quarterback. I'm absolutely blanking on his name right now. I have it written down here somewhere. Um, if you oh, can, it's, it's bothering me too. Why we just talked about him. Just talked about um, him a, a De- uh, Devin Leary, Devin Leary. Yeah. Devin Leary. He put up great stats last year. People are buying into the hype of NC state. I'm not quite doing it, but I'm buying into his hype. I think he's going to be a very good quarterback. I love, I love, love the game. That is going to be him versus Clemson. I think uh, Dabo Sweeney is going to take that game personally. Really curious to see how that turns out. But again, just I think that the the silver lining of the transfer portal, I know everyone shits on it, is there's just a usually better quarterback play across the country because you have guys who are probably ready to play in a year out who get antsy and transfer somewhere to be the guy right away. So you get a lot of guys in new spots and you're going to ask yourself and tell yourself like, oh, I forgot he was there. And so that just makes this, you know, makes this conference very fun i have uh then i I, i'm just gonna say i think that's also the most intriguing storyline but i'm I'm just for repeating sake and and going different route i'm going to go a different route there are three programs in the acc that you know are, are kind of the main reason why the acc isn't one of the top three why it's not the power three it's the power two you look at florida state you look at miami you look at virginia tech like those are teams that three or four years ago had a chance to be like a team that competes for the playoff every year that challenges Clemson. They let Clemson kind of run away with that thing and they haven't been able to figure their programs out. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year, but I think every year can Florida state start to take steps forward. Can Miami do, do they have the right guy in there? Is Virginia tech ever going to figure it out and get themselves back? Because I know not for the Virginia tech is, has the historical prominence of those programs, but like, man, Virginia tech, when they're good, like that, that's, that's a very intriguing program. They have the best night game atmosphere as anybody in the country. Like, can they kind of get themselves back to maybe not being a, a national championship contender, but a team that's, you know, nine and three, 10 and two, maybe win an ACC here and there. Yeah. There's a few, there's a few teams in that conference that just need to get back to national prominence. Those three mainly, but those are the three I have my eyes on this year. That's my second most intriguing storyline after the quarterback. So what's your big surprise from the ACC? Um, I think the big surprise right now is going <clears throat> uh, to be Miami getting back or getting to the ACC championship for the first time ever. Um, so I am buying Mario Cristobal. I'm buying Tyler Van Dyke. I don't think they're going to make it to the college football playoff or anything, but I think they're very much on the right track from a recruiting standpoint, from an NIL standpoint and a coaching standpoint. So I'm, you know, they've never been to an ACC championship game, which is, doesn't seem right, but they just have been no, decided to average. That was surprising for me. Yeah. Uh, my big surprise is I'm going to say Mike Norvell is the first coach fired in the ACC. Oh, um, I just I, that's a, I guess that's a bold prediction. Surprise, yes. whatever. That would be somewhat somewhat surprising. I just it seemed like he had a little bit of momentum, and I uh, 
again, I'm going to blank on his name, the cornerback that they originally had signed that ended up committing to, to Jackson State. When that happened, the fan base went from like, all right, this guy's got some momentum to back to just absolutely hating him. And I don't think they're ever going to forgive him for that. And then I also think around midseason, there's going to be some clamoring for hire Deion Sanders and have him bring the cornerback with him. I think there's, I just, I don't think it ends well for Mike Norvell there. It, nothing's gone right. Nothing's gone his way. Part of it's his fault, part of it's not. But I think that's a another program that, hey, I, I know I mentioned this name earlier in the podcast and not that I, I don't like him. I think he's a terrible person, but that could give Urban Meyer a call uh, if they think they're competing with another big time program. Uh, so that's that's my big surprise there. Florida Hopefully State. there's no there's no adolescent butts in Tallahassee. Well, there's quite a few of them. So I think Urban Meyer might be a little bit intrigued there over Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, yeah. All right, Phil, let's let's wrap this up here. Give me a uh, give me a college football playoff prediction and give me a Heisman prediction. Okay, so college football player prediction. I am going big shocker, Alabama. Another big shocker, Ohio State, Georgia. And I'm actually going to go back on what I said earlier. I am buying Utah because I'm buying a one-loss Utah team to sneak in um, because I don't think the, the Big Ten runner-up is going to be good enough. And I don't think Notre Dame at large is going to be good enough. And I don't think that Clemson is going to look impressive enough. So I think a one-loss Utah team makes it in. Um, and then I'm going... Alabama to beat Georgia um, in a rematch. Um, not in the, or actually, no, they went to that in the national championship. Back up. That, that would probably be round one. I would have to think. That would, you think if that's, I'm hoping if Alabama, Georgia, yeah, Alabama, Georgia, if they meet round one, I guess I'm it doing, wasn't last year. It wasn't last year. I'm hoping, but if that's the case, I'm picking Bama regardless in the championship game. I'm going Bama against Ohio state. And I'm actually taking Ohio state to win the national championship this year. Cause Ooh. I think, they will get their defense figured out. They might start the year slow, but I like Knowles as a defensive coordinator. Um, I think he'll get it put together. And I think their offense, once it really starts gelling, is going to be just so stupidly good. And I think with an improved, stable defense, with the talent they have on their roster, will really pick up momentum towards the end of the year. So I don't think their week one performance versus Notre Dame is going to be necessary, um, like a, a mirror performance of what it's going to be for the, for the entire year. So even oh. if... Ohio State somehow loses to Notre Dame week one. I like them to pick up momentum and steamroll Michigan um, just for revenge game and then make it into the college football playoff and win the national championship. If Ohio State beats Notre Dame week one, I guarantee you by week seven or eight when they're beating teams 45 to three, the narrative will be, oh, well, they're a different team now. They're better. We shouldn't factor that. And and quite honestly, might be might be right. Might be be true. Might be true, but I hate it. Ohio State gets the benefit of the doubt. Um, I'm going to go with Alabama. Shocker. Georgia, ah man, I, you know, I'm gonna do it. Do Notre it. Dame and Utah. I, 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 I just, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna say Notre Dame. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm back in the Irish here. Maybe because I didn't want to go too chalky. I think that if they go 11 and one, and they have one, they have one loss to an Ohio State or two. I guess if Notre Dame makes the playoff, it's because Ohio, Ohio State's gonna have to be undefeated in the playoff as well. But Maybe they maybe they get lucky week one. Maybe they do put everything together and win that week. Maybe Ohio State does have a couple bad weeks here and there. And shock, uh, this is actually kind of surprising. I've never really liked C.J. Stroud. I know he put up huge numbers last year. I thought there were times where he looked kind of pedestrian, looked like he was you know blindsided, got punched in the mouth, and didn't really fight back. I thought when things went right and he had the best receivers in the country by far, things were great. But I, I don't think he's better than Bryce Young. I don't think he's you know. I don't think he's the most elite quarterback in college football. I think he's a benefactor of receivers. So I, I'm going to go with Notre Dame. I have to pick Utah because that was my surprise. 
so let's go Notre Dame, Utah, Alabama, Georgia, and Alabama beats Georgia in the national championship game. Uh, lastly, before we wrap up here, we got two minutes left on the on the Zoom call, and I don't want to start a new one. Phil, who wins the Heisman Trophy? And give me some, give me I give me three finalists. Give me three finalists. Okay, uh, CJ Stroud, okay, uh, Dylan Gabriel, and um, Bryce Young. Um, and my winner is going to be CJ Stroud, um, just because I think he, they are in position to look like they're going to win the national championship. And I think Bryce Young gets some votes taken away from him initially um, because of Will Anderson. Okay. I am going with my finalists are going to be Will Anderson, uh, Bryce Young. I think Caleb Williams will be there. Hmm. And I'm going to, I want, I just cause CJ Stroud's going to be there. I want to say Jackson Smith and Jigba really bad, but if he has too good of a year, Stroud will be there as well. So I'm going to go with those four. Or three, four, whatever. And I think Will Anderson's going to win the Heisman. I do. I, I, think, I, think, I want that more than anything. I think the quarterbacks are going to cannibalize each other this year. I think Caleb Williams, I don't think USC is going to be great, but I think his numbers are going to be massive because they're going to have to throw the ball a ton. So I think him being there, being at USC, being being like Riley's quarterback probably gets an invite. I think Will Anderson's going to have a monster year. I think he has the hype going into the season. And now that, you know, the Heisman committee isn't afraid to vote a defensive player to the show. I think at some point one's going to win one. So I, that, that's my pick here. Um, I, I love it. Give him the second year bump and you're right. The big thing I didn't factor in is the preseason hype being a finalist last year and getting a preseason hype this year. Yep. I think can put him over the edge. I'm rooting for it because, you know, it should be the best player in college football, not the best quarterback in college football. Yeah. So that's all we got. Uh, running low here on time. Phil, thanks for joining us. Uh, congratulations to Joe again on getting married. We'll hear from him later in this week. I think we're going to be coming at you Thursday or Friday with an NFL season preview. Until now, I'm Matt. He's Phil. Phil, say goodbye to the people. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for having me. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. (laughs) Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. (laughs)